Hi, I'm Larry, and welcome to my podcast, where I talk about all things technology and how it affects the various aspects of our lives. So today I'll be talking to David, or Mr. Sleek, or Don. <laughs> I'm sure he's not comfortable by that, but John is like a fun name. I, I call him. I have known him for how long now? I always ask people that because I think I've known him from uni, mess. So let's just say over a decade, right? <laughs> yeah, over a decade at this point. Yep. Yeah. Charlie, we grow, we grow, we grow, but we've come far. <laughs> and I, um, I know some will tell me this is not professional, but interesting story is remember when we were walking on the school bus, school bus road, right? And then we used to joke about being in different countries and planning vacations and stuff like that. You know, technically, we are kind of close to that dream, right? Because you're currently in the U.S., right? You're in, last I checked, you were in New York? No, so you... I'm, in, uh, I'm in San Francisco now. Okay, you're in San Francisco now. And I'm also in Moscow now. And I remember we used to have that, that dream that one day we'll be in different countries and we'll plan a vacation. We have to plan a vacation next summer. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. But... But then I would say that the, the dream was a little bit more elaborate than that. I think we wanted to be in like different private jets and then you know play games and stuff like that. So yeah, so there's still a lot of way to go. <laughs> well, well, I wanted I wanted to share the modest version for the listeners. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I might have started off on the wrong foot because I've known him for so long. So it feels like just another call with him. But um, like I said earlier, I'll be speaking with David Mumuni, and I'd like for him to introduce himself. So. Who are you? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, Frank, they said my name already. Uh, my name is David. Um, I'm, I'm originally from, I'm from Ghana. Uh, I'm uh, born in Takrade. I, I, I grew up over there. I went to like uh, VRE school and then I went to St. Augustine's College. Um, and then I went to the University of Cape Coast to study uh, computer science. That's where I actually met Frank. So, and that's also pretty much where I sort of gained some sort of interest in like computing, programming, and uh, all of those fun stuff. Um, so after uh, UCC, we did go to MEST, where we, we trained in uh, like software development, running like a business, um, and also with, you know, in like communications and how to like pitch your business and all those fun stuff. And, and while I was uh, at MEST, I also did an MBA at the uh, Catholic Institute of Milan. So I did uh, uh, global business and sustainability. Um, and then after that, I did run a few startups uh, in, in Ghana. And now currently I work as a product manager for, uh, for Facebook. I work on their Facebook business suite products. So, you know, we are helping SMBs around the world to uh, start, grow and run their businesses. So that's sort of like a, sort of a summary of uh, what I've been up to. Well, uh, so from my in my version of the summary is from UCC school bus to Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, that's a fair summary. Yep. Okay. So what you said you work as a product manager. Who is a product manager? Yeah. So a product manager. I think there are a lot of like uh, ways people sort of describe it, like a PM. Uh, so the the way I sort of think about it is. Uh, The way I sort of think about it is if you think of like maybe uh, engineering or building a house, you know, the engineers are actually going to 
put the blocks together and then you know somebody's going to decorate the house and make it look like a house but then uh what, what the pm would do is pretty much like the architect right so you have something in your mind you sort of like design it and say hey our goal is to uh build a house to accommodate x number of people by the beach and it should be this and that so you sort of have that vision but uh you work with a cross-functional team of people maybe like the builders the, these people who do the interior design uh the structural engineers and all that so that's how like a pm is so we work closely with like engineer designers, uh, data scientists, uh, product good people to build products. And um, they, our job is pretty much to, you know, sort of like a servant leadership role, just do everything that it takes to get a product built. So we, we support them in all ways that we could from uh, helping them, helping the team like create a vision and understand what the goal of the product is to being able to like measure it accurately to determine if uh, you were able to like achieve the goal or not. So everything in between. So. Uh, I, I just say that, you know, a PM is like a servant leader. Uh, you have a goal and anything you need to do to help the team reach that goal, you pretty much do it. So you mentioned something about startups. Um, tell us about some of the startups you either founded or you worked with whilst you were in Ghana. So you left UCC, then you got into MEST, right? Uh, so tell us about some of the startups you either started whilst at MEST or you tried running whilst in Ghana, the ones you run in Ghana. Yeah, so uh, while we had met, we used to do like capstones. So it was pretty much every quarter we had to come up with like an idea, uh, build a product for it, get customers, have a page deck, and all of those like super, super exciting stuff. Uh, so we did run a lot of them, uh, at least through the capstone model. Uh, one of them that I remember was something we called, I think the first one was something we called like Bistamp. Uh, we did all the way to... Uh, Man, I can't remember some of the names, but then we did a couple of exciting ones. But the final one that I did uh, at MES was Flippy Campus. And that was a company that uh, helped uh, college students in Africa to get information that they would otherwise have to uh, go to their notice board to get. So that was super exciting. We helped grow that company to uh, about a million users. Uh, and we did a, some, you know, some super, super exciting things with Flippy Campus. Okay, you mentioned Capstone. What is a Capstone? for people who might not know in relation with MEST. So before you say that, um, for those who are listening for the first time, Meltwater is this program that trains young entrepreneurs. And we were both there for two years, right? And we work on yeah. capstones, but could you tell us more about the capstones? Yeah, so just to put the capstone as like a project, right? So if you are like in college and maybe about to finish your, you know, sort of your, your program, you probably do like a project where you actually build something uh, and show to people. But the difference between the capstone is really looking at, you know, building a product sort of as a business. So a group of people come together, uh, first of all, identify what is the problem that you want to solve, the user segment that you're going after, and you build a technology product for it. Um, so after building, you also have to make sure that, you know, you're just not building a fancy, you know, tech gadget because you can, but then there's a business behind it. So understanding uh, your cost of acquiring customers, uh, how your growth strategy, uh, you know, social media, all of those sort of like super exciting stuff. And then you pitch it to like a team of investors. So uh, these are people who can give you money to start if they think it's a viable business. So that's all the capstone model. It's like at the beginning of the quarter, you have no idea. In three months, have a super uh, exciting idea, have a, a good business around it. Uh, if you could even go all the way to like getting customers or uh, to pay you or getting people to like download your product, those are like very good signs that this could be like a super uh, exciting business. So that's all the capstone model. If I remember correctly, in one of the capstones, one of your ideas was actually, it started as a joke. I don't know which one it was. 
I honestly can't remember, but there was a capstone you worked on and it started as a joke because when the, I don't, was it memory streams or what, what triggered memory streams? What started memory streams? Yeah, so memory streams, um, I'm I think exactly, memory, it was memory streams. It started I'm as a joke. I don't know what triggered it, but then I think at the time, uh, you know, it was uh, a lot of famous people had died and people that we had connected with like, you know, Paul Walker, uh, Muhammad Ali, all these people sort of died. And even if we look back to when uh, Steve Jobs died, you know, Apple had this website called Remembering Steve Jobs where pretty much like important people would say, hey, you know, I knew, I knew Steve through this place. These are the certain things we did. So Memory Stream was just a platform to help uh, people to uh, pretty much like immortalize their loved ones uh, and share the stories of their lives uh, with other people. So. Uh, that was super exciting. I, I was very excited about that idea. I think uh, there is still a need for it even today because you know people we keep you know people always um, we die as people, right? We are, we are mortal people, so you know we are, we are definitely going to die. But then there are all these loved ones that we sort of leave behind. There are all these amazing stories that uh, and lives that we left that you know people you know are people's heads. So how can we help share some of those stories because those are part of us. Couldn't remember. Uh, you mentioned Flippy. So interesting fact. Um, I met someone here in Moscow who was also he was the person who was in their bachelors whilst we were at Mest. And the person mentioned Flippy that they had heard about Flippy, and they were like, "Oh, so you know the the CEO?" I was, oh yeah, I know him. I've known him for a while now. So personally, I would like you to tell us more about Flippy because from our year group and this from an outsider's perspective, the interesting thing about Flippy was everybody felt like Flippy was one of those ideas that. It wouldn't work because B2C is hard. Customer acquisition is very hard. And I remember one of our colleagues said something. He said, it's David. He can pull it off. And the funny thing about that particular idea, this is my perspective or my side or what I saw is by the time we go to our final pitches or the final try to raise capital or investment and stuff like that, your numbers couldn't be fought with. You had really good numbers. You had a lot of users and stuff. So tell us more about Flippy. Yeah, so so Flippy Campus, you know, it's, it's a super exciting idea. And again, I think this is also something that's uh, there's probably still the need for it uh, even today. Uh, but you know, we we went to college in Ghana, at least uh, the undergrad level, and there are like physical notice board that people have to visit to get access to information. So anything like from your timetable to even like your results or you know a class has been yeah, rescheduled, all of these things sort of live on a physical notice board, which is like a piece of paper that they just stick to the wall. Um, and that means, you know, there is a chance, that there are chances that you, you miss out on some of this information if you don't walk to the notice board to look at that information. So Flippy Campus was just a way of sort of digitizing this experience for college students. And we said, hey, how can we put the notice board experience on the phones of people so that, you know, you can have your notice board in your pocket or in the palm of your hand. Um, so we, we started and we, we um, went to a few colleges, the University of Ghana, uh, I think Wisconsin University, uh, I'm not sure if the name is correct, but in the university uh, at Islegon, and we spoke with some of the SLCs, we spoke with some of the students, we did a few tests, and realized that students were super excited about this idea. So we said, why not, you know, we're going to go all out, try to get these people to know about the product, to download the product, to use it. And also to get some you know, initial feedback to help us uh, know the best way to position the product. So we did it and I was super excited about it. And uh, I know like B2C can be hard, but I think it's, it's super exciting because you know, there, there can be some virality effect to it, right? You can get people to like invite other people 
you can get people to use it because they are not paying for it and you can think of like monetizing it later on so i think it's super exciting i think it's probably maybe uh maybe a bit easier than the b2b model where you know it takes a long time to to you know get somebody to pay you and that doesn't mean your business is not good but you know you probably could struggle so much that by the time people pay you maybe the business has collapsed i think the b2c model allows you to see some sort of initial growth to you know at least uh it gives the team some good uh incentives it gives investors you know the uh perception that maybe there, there's there's something there and then they, they sort of sign the check so exciting so from that from flippy then what next what happened like the summary was from flippy eventually ended up facebook so what happened next what happened after flippy yeah so so even even uh, uh, before flippy I, I, I had other um sort of startups uh one of them was infosol which was like a consulting company so we built like lots of web and mobile platforms for like different institutions uh, in, uh, in ghana uh, and then we also had a non-profit called oil journey which was supposed to help uh, ensure transparency in the oil and gas space so we ran a few programs uh, got some grants from uh, the world bank and usaid uh, and then we, we did some super exciting stuff really around the social in the, in the social impact area so when I when I moved to New York, um, the first time that I worked with was called uh, Jabo Network, and this is a blockchain company. And that was around 2017, 2018, when uh, Bitcoin at the time was at an all-time high, around twenty thousand uh, dollars uh, per BTC. Uh, I know it's a, it looks like a joke right now because uh, today is about 50 k but um, at the time Bitcoin was very high, and lots of startups were having an ICO. And uh, my startup was one of those that did have an ICO, so they raised. Um, I think close to like 30 or 36 million dollars uh, to help put tra uh, traditional financial assets on the Ethereum blockchain. So if you think of financial assets like bonds, like, um, like stocks and all of these things, today you have to work with these financial institutions and then there is a lot of work around like moving them from, you know, from one person to the other or even selling your stock to another person. You know, it takes, you have to sell, it takes a few days for you to clear all of those sort of stuff. So what we wanted to do was, how can we use tokens to represent these financial assets? And how can we transfer these tokens to people in a way that it makes it very seamless and transactions could be like much faster. And then you can also trace them and get all those exciting properties of like blockchain uh, as well. So we, we did start a company. Uh, we were relying on lots of like regulations in the, in the US to help support uh, that company, but then those regulations never came. So the company sort of struggled in that regard. But we also did a lot of exciting things, uh, mainly um, in Europe and in the Middle East, where we work with, you know, the Central Bank of Jordan, with, you know, various banks in Dubai, uh, around setting up some of the first uh, blockchain transactions that work mainly with institutional uh, banks. So we did a lot of exciting uh, work with them. Uh, and then the company still exists today. They are doing a lot of, like, good work, uh, maybe in the, in the Middle East and uh, parts of Europe. Okay, so... Um... Your so after Jubil Network, Jubil, right? Yeah. So the company is called like Cubis Lab, but then the product was called uh, Jubil Network. So Jubil Network. So after Jubil Network, I think you worked at one or two other places before Facebook. Uh, yes. So after that, how, worked... how did you get into Facebook? How did Facebook happen? Yeah. So so after Jubil Network, I did work with another company called uh, Flipped. So this is a healthcare company based in, uh, in Jersey City. And what we did was really bring transparency in the uh, PBM space. So, you know, people in the US know that, you know, like cost of 
healthcare is like super expensive, especially like prescription drugs. So we wanted to figure out a way to bring transparency and to give people like choice. So, so we bought a product that allows you to, you know, search for a particular prescription, and then we can show you pharmacies in your neighborhood and how much it costs. And sometimes the, the difference in price could be great, right? You could get a, a, farm, a prescription uh, maybe at CVS for let's say five bucks. But if you walk maybe, you know, like five more minutes to another pharmacy, you could get it for maybe a uh, dollar or even like for free because, you know, your, uh, your copay is paying for it. So the cost of prescriptions were super, super, really vary based on the pharmacy that you go, based on the PBM and all of that. So we build this platform to allow people to find uh, prescriptions at affordable prices. But um, the interesting thing about Facebook was uh, before I joined Flipped, uh, you know, Facebook had reached out to me. And uh, I, I, I did not go ahead to go through the interview process because that was when I had just started the company. Actually, it was the first week. Uh, but then I still kept the relationship warm. And then uh, after I had worked at uh, Flip for a while, they did reach out to me uh, during the early times of like COVID. And then um, again, uh, th this was through like LinkedIn. So I didn't necessarily like apply or, you know, know somebody who like, you know, gave me like a referral or anything like that. Uh, it was it was sort of through like a code email on LinkedIn, and um, you know we had a conversation. I went through the interview process, and uh, yeah, eventually I did uh, get a job. You mentioned um, being on LinkedIn, but what do you think made your profile peculiar enough for a recruiter at LinkedIn to send you a message that hey, are you interested in joining uh, Facebook? So, so, so that's interesting. I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm necessarily an expert in this, but then uh, I, I definitely, I think, you know, instead of sometimes putting together your, your, your profile on LinkedIn, you sometimes have to use some of the keywords that recruiters may be looking for. So for somebody like me who has been into product for like X number of years, uh, how do you really sell some of those experiences? And how do you talk of maybe even about your experiences in, uh, as opposed, instead of talking about the work that you do, how can you talk of the outcome? So, you know, the product that you bought, how many people did it, did, uh, did it impact? Were you able to reduce the cost uh, that the company was having by X amount? So really trying to, you know, not talk about the features or the work you did, but selling the value of the work that you did. Uh, how, you know, how much revenue did you generate? Uh, how much easy did you make the company to do a particular tax? So those are some of the things that I think helps. I don't think I'm necessarily an expert at sort of, you know, putting together uh, exciting things in, in your in your uh, in your LinkedIn profile, but um, I, I think you know with good experiences and being able to like highlight them, you could have a pretty good chance of you know of being reached out by you know different companies. And you know it's not just Facebook that have reached out to me. Uh, I've I've had more than seven emails from like recruiters at uh, Amazon. I've had uh, even just yesterday. Uh, you know I had a. I had an email from uh, a company called Chime, which is like a bank, you know, like online banking. Uh, and it's, they, they are doing a lot of exciting things. So I, I think, you know, if you're able to use some, the right keywords, able to highlight your skill set the right way. And, um, and also like just being on LinkedIn. I know sometimes people are, you know, people are just not on LinkedIn or they don't update when they get like a new job. They don't talk about exactly what they did. They just write the titles of your job. They don't give any sort of uh, introduction. Who am I? What have I done? What are my interests? Where do I want to go? I think those are all good things that people could add uh, to their LinkedIn profile. Speaking of who you are, um, we both study computer science. And I remember one of the jokes you always crack was, we did a lot of math, right? 
And one of the jokes you always cracked me was in she was like, Yeah, I'm collateral numbers number two. So how did you how did you change? It's not really a change of trajectory because I feel like they are all in the same ecosystem. But the conventional path most people think of when they think of computer science is computer science, maybe software engineer, engineer, and then you become a software engineer, some security aspect, basically more on the technical side. So how did you change to a PM which Sometimes people on the technical side feel like you need an MBA, which you have, or you need more of a business background to do. Yeah, so, so this is a very good question. And I think this is also another thing that people always maybe get a little bit confused about, like product management. Um, so, so there are some people who may not necessarily be pursuing like product management careers because they think they need like a CS background. And uh, although I think like a CS background is really, really important because, you know, you're working directly with engineers, you are having like conversations. Sometimes you may sort of talk, to, you may be talking about things which are technical. So there is the need to uh, be able to understand what is going on, but you don't need, you, you don't really need to be writing the code. The fact is these companies have hired the best engineers to write the code, they are, they are great at it. So you, you know, they don't need you for the code. They need you for you know, things like the vision, things like uh, what they should be looking out for, things like what the output should be. So although a computer science degree is like important, uh, it's not like a prerequisite for uh, a career in like product management. And um, if, if I sort of look at how I got into product management, I think for the most part, I, I have been doing like product management for, for a while because when I uh, was the founder for uh, like InfoSoft, for example, most of what, what, we, what we did was like consulting. So getting companies and being able to translate maybe their business needs into like technical requirements and being able to uh, build like a product for them. Everything from the conversation you have with the, the clients are actually product management. It's really understanding the needs of the users and being able to translate it into the product that eventually uh, you build for them. So I think I've, I've pretty much been doing it, you know, pretty much uh, since I was in college. Um, but, but then I, I also think that, you know, I'm sort of like a people's person. I like to work with people. And I think PM gives me the opportunity to have some, uh, to do some sort of like technical work but also be able to do some, some part where you are really working with people, you are trying to unblock people to sort of get things done. And those are things that I really enjoyed, even as my time as like the CEO for Flippy Campus and also doing some product jobs, you know, when I was uh, with InfoSoil and all of that. So I think I've probably been doing product stuff and I think my personal traits, my interest, and also my, my education to some extent, right? From computer science to an MBA and entrepreneurship. I think these are very good ingredients for like a product career. So if I get it correctly, um, you were doing product management, but you didn't plan on doing product management, right? And over time, it's like you realize, oh, I'm a product manager. I can become a product manager, shape my profile to become a product manager, right? At least that's what I'm getting. Now, the question is, what if I am listening to this and I decide I want to become a product manager? How would you advise me to get into such a role, irrespective of my background? Yeah, so that's uh, an exciting question. I think if, if you have a non-technical background, there is definitely the need for you to uh, maybe take some courses online, maybe understand uh, maybe how to, how, how some basis of like computing or basis of programming, maybe learn something like HTML, at least be able to understand some technical words, right? Because you, you eventually are going to be speaking with like technical people. So they are going to say certain things that you need to know what it, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be the guy who is lost in the room, right? Yeah, I think you lose credibility if you are working with engineers and you, you, you may not understand anything happening. 
So I think uh, there is the need for you to uh, maybe have some introductory courses in, in like computing, maybe start from like HTML, CSS, you can get some free courses, you know, uh, online or even on YouTube um, or, or places like Code Academy and all of that. Um, I also think that another important part of like being a product manager is uh, people would always ask you, what, is, what does your portfolio look like? What have you done in the past? So how can you do some, some projects? How can you like even like volunteer for like a startup and play some sort of like PM role? Uh, I think it's very, very important. So um, yeah, I think after, after you've learned uh, and, and you sort of understand the technical stuff and maybe you have like a mentor to help you navigate, there is really, it's really important for you to uh, build a portfolio. And a portfolio doesn't mean you need to get a job at the biggest company. Um, you know, if, if you want a job at the biggest company, they're going to ask for those experiences. Do you have a friend who has a startup that you, uh, you can work with? Uh, or if you are probably maybe like a, a software engineer or a data scientist or whoever you may be, can you like product manage a particular product that your, your company is working on, right? So as a company, you probably are working on like five different products. Can you like volunteer and say, hey, I want to sort of product manage this very one. And then that can be a good transition uh, into product management. And, and just at least from most PM that I've seen, most of them sort of had like some sort of engineering background, maybe they software engineering for a while, but then there was some opportunity and they sort of like product manage that sort of like project. And then they say, oh, this is super exciting. Let me sort of make that transition. So I think like having that portfolio is important. Uh, and, um, you know, working for like a small startup or a friend, or, you know, just find somebody and do something for them for free, as long as it gives you the experience, as long as it's something you can point out to, I think it's a, it's a great start. Now, what are some of the um, exciting things happening? Obviously, you can't tell us confidential stuff, but like, I'm trying to phrase the thing in my head. Like, if I was speaking to you for the first time, I didn't know, and I heard, oh, this is a Ghanaian guy who is in Facebook, right? What are some of the exciting things that are happening there? Exciting things happening at Facebook. Yeah, at least from the, like, how does it feel like? I think, yeah, I found the right way to phrase it. How does it feel like working at Facebook? What is the day-to-day -day like of a PM at Facebook? Yes, I think I found the right way to phrase it. Basically, I think what I was looking for is, I'm listening to this and I'm, okay, this Facebook. Basically, how can I live through you? <laughs> Do you get, like, tell me a story. Tell me, like, your day-to-day. -day. What happens at Facebook? Yeah, so, so as a... As a product manager at Facebook, um, I think the, the, what we do, they are really like into two parts. Uh, one part is strategy and the other part is execution. And uh, these two are like super, super important, but then I'll talk about the strategy and then I can uh, tell a little bit about the, the execution part. So, so the strategy is where do you want your team to be, right? You know, you probably are the PM for, it doesn't matter what it is, right? You probably are the PM for any, any product you can think about. Uh, it doesn't even have to be like Facebook. But then where, where do you want the team to be in like the next two years? What are the big uh, problems that exist? What are the strategic investments that a team can make today to get us over there? And being able to sort of tell that story and get to your team and then maybe yeah, your lead, the directors and all, you know, whoever you report to, to buy into that story and say, hey, this is where we want to be in two years. Uh, these are the problems that we are going to solve to get there. That's all of the strategy part. And I think the strategy is very, very important because it makes the whole team sort of be in line to be able to like have the same mind and say, hey, this is what success looks uh, like uh, to us. 
So I think the strategy is very much in line with the goal, right? So after you have the strategy, what does success look like? What are the metrics of success? Uh, what would you use to measure to determine that you know we've been successful or not? So that's a big part of what we do. Um, and then th there is the execution part. The execution part is really like getting the work done. That's sort of how I would put it. So uh, as a PM at Facebook, um, we, we, we don't usually, at least for my team uh, and, and, and most teams that I've worked with, we, we don't necessarily write like user stories and you know those sort of like very detailed sets of instructions. Uh, because again, like Facebook has a lot of like smart engineers who are able to do most of these things. Uh, but sometimes we write things like, like, like a product brief. And sometimes we don't do that just alone. We, are, we work closely with the engineers. Uh, some of the areas may also be very technical that even the engineers will take lead on writing like a brief or writing like a technical documentation for it. And uh, we, we also work closely with things like the data scientists, with the designers, with the content uh, strategists, uh, and then the product good people. So most of what I do, uh, and again, you know, being a PM, uh, you, you pretty much spend like half your time in meetings. So you get into these meetings and the way I will always think about it is, how can I help unblock somebody at the end of this meeting? So it could be a meeting between like multiple teams and uh, they need to make a decision or uh, they, they need somebody else on board to be able to like unblock them. So how do you really go into some of these meetings to know what is the most important thing you need to do? How can you unblock your team to keep executing? So that's... Uh, a big part of what we do from the execution side, from writing briefs to making sure that the product design and DS and engineers are aligned to if, uh, again, Facebook's like a very big company. So you may be building a product, but that product may impact another, uh, another team, right? So uh, if you think of maybe you are the PM for, let's say you're the PM for something like Facebook uh, uh, events, right? So maybe Facebook events sort of come on the on home or in the newsfeed. So if you are building a product and you want it to come on home, that means it's going to impact the team that is in charge of like newsfeed. So you need to align with them. Make sure that, that the product that you're building, is it in line with the vision of newsfeed? Are there things that you need to consider? Are there things that the newsfeed team, uh, are there guard rules that you need to put in place to make sure that both teams can sort of succeed? Because you don't really want to build a product that your team becomes successful and other teams sort of uh, have to pay a price for it. So how can you align your incentives and I can ensure that both teams are sort of growing at the same time. So those are like a big part of it. Unblocking with other teams, um, you know, unblocking your team, getting things like briefs out, and also having like a strategic direction where your team is going. Sorry. So you mentioned strategy. Can you tell us a bit more about the execution bit? You mentioned two things, strategy and execution. And I think you spoke more to strategy. Could you highlight a bit more about the execution bit? So, so things I, I talked about in terms of aligning with other teams are pretty much execution based. Things around writing a product brief are execution. Things around, uh, uh, yeah, writing a product brief, uh, bringing the engineers and the DS and everybody uh, in line to know what exactly we are going to put right now. Uh, how would you set up your experiment, right? So if you bought a product and you're trying to experiment, how are you going to set up the experiment? At which point do you determine that this is successful or this is not successful? All of those are things that you do from the execution point of, uh, point of view. But I would say a big part of it is writing the brief because the brief will allow the team to know that, hey, this is, what we are, this is exactly what we are supposed to build. This is how it's supposed to look like. 
and then getting that whole team on board. So uh, from the brief to unblocking the team is sort of the execution side of it. And the strategy is more around the long-term thinking. Uh, where do you want to be in five years? Uh, you know, so I always think of strategy as what do you want people to be able to do in five years that they cannot do today, right? So it could be anything. If you work for maybe uh, like a bank and then it takes five minutes for transactions to happen, maybe your vision for five years is that, you know, you want people to be able to transact in like a second, right? So that could be like a vision. But maybe doing that would mean you need to work with maybe uh, uh, maybe the Federal Reserve to sort of maybe change some laws. It means you need to be able to transact at a particular speed. I, I don't know, but, you know, based on where you want to be, there's a set of actions that you need to do. And that is where the execution comes in. So the strategy is good for alignment and sort of strategic uh, direction, but you need to know what to do today to help the team to sort of get there. And uh, another thing about execution is that I don't think you really need to get to the five-year mark before you know whether it's successful or not, right? You probably want to reduce the time from like five minutes to, to, to two seconds. Can you re reduce it to four minutes and 50 seconds you know, in the next quarter? And then can you reduce it by another 10 seconds in the next quarter? So, you know, sometimes success is not sort of that big number. It's really like incremental. What can you do today to help the team sort of get there? Okay. So now let me ask you my last three questions, right? So the first one is you used to be a programmer. I don't know if you still program, but what is the dumbest thing you ever did as a developer? The dumbest thing? I, so I did programming for a while. Uh, I didn't really do it for, for a very long period of time. I'm not sure the dumbest thing I did. I probably didn't do much to sort of get into the dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So you spoke about startups and stuff. What are some of the challenges facing startups in Ghana? Based on your experience running a startup, based on interaction with other co-founders. I don't know if you still watch the Ghanaian um, tech space still, but what are some of the challenges facing startups in Ghana? Yeah, so, so I'm not sure if more of those problems still exist, but then I think that um, sometimes um, sometimes the market is maybe not very ready for some very like high tech things that we talk about. I think there are some very basic things that people need and, you know, we try to solve problems with, uh, with like smartphones, but maybe smartphones are sort of a section of the market. There may be other people that may be neglecting. So I think maybe we can be a bit, a bit more creative in terms of how we solve the problem. I think maybe that is one. But I also think things like access to capital uh, can also be like super, super challenging. And um, yeah, I, I think access to capital, especially at least in my case and, you know, friends and people that I know, maybe you get the first, you know, X amount of dollars to like, you know, do get like product market fit, but then uh, where to go from then. So I think th that is also... Uh, uh, a bit challenging, especially if you know in the fintech space. I know there have been a lot of people raising money in the fintech space. I think there could be a lot more uh, diversification uh, uh, in that area. Uh, but I also think that you know, as entrepreneurs, uh, for me, I, I would always say we could get investors, we could do this. You know, the market could be whatever. But I think eventually it's the duty of the entrepreneur to be able to find the right opportunity. So how can we also be like more creative? And I think that's more important because if there's more money, if the market is ready. And we are still not creative to meet, you know, the customers at the point of their need, then we'll still not be successful. So I would throw the challenge to the entrepreneurs and say, how can we understand our customers better? How can we uh, understand the investors better? Or how can we grow in a way that uh, we don't need a huge amount of like cash to grow? And how can we also find success? Uh, you know, success doesn't mean like a million users or a million dollars or whatever. 
I think we can also find our own success and write our own stories. Interesting. Um, so the final question is, and I think I've, I've been asking almost everybody a variant of this is, do you see Ghana getting, Ghana or any African country getting a unicorn in our lifetime? Because that's one of my dreams. I, I always tell people, I just need one, one unicorn in Ghana. Reason being, if a company is valued at a billion dollars or over a billion dollars, what's Ghana's GDP? Either way, it's going to impact different sectors of the economy, whether we like it or not. So do you see a likelihood of a unicorn happening anytime soon, at least in our lifetime? <laughs> I, I think so. I think, I think it's, uh, I don't see one happening. I, I think I see a lot of them happening. And if you look at some of the recent success from other companies, uh, I know like in Nigeria, for example, there are all these, you know, companies uh, acquired by, uh, I think, Stripe and, you know, it was like a, a huge, I don't remember what the valuation was, but I think those successes are sort of coming. But I, I would say we, we don't really need that as an, as an indication of success, right? If there's one super big, like, company and everybody else is still uh, down there, I don't think that's a lot of success. I think it's really about the ecosystem. Can we have like maybe uh, small startups with like 20, 30 people, which, you know, can like support themselves, which are solving a real problem, which can support those 10, 20 families. I think that that, that is success enough. But I think those big unicorn, uh, those would will, will happen. Uh, I think it, multiple of them will happen in our lifetime, but I don't really want to see that as a success because uh, if we have that and we have like 50, 100 other small companies which are making enough money to you know for the investors to see good returns for the founders and then the people working there to support their families i think that's also like enough uh, success so uh yeah I, I i look forward to the billion dollar company but then i look forward more to uh you know 1000 small companies that uh, can grow steadily can uh, can get investors to get return for their money can get the founders to uh, achieve their goals can get employees to support their families and can contribute to the country and the community. Okay, it's been really great having you here and it's been great, great catching up. <laughs> I, I tell everybody that so far, almost everybody I bring on board, it's just my friend and we're having a chat and I think I'm having fun and people get the luxury to listen or get angry at me. <laughs> but it's been quite insightful. For me, one of the biggest insights is the fact that you said we need to build an ecosystem. I think other people have said similar things in different ways. And I think that's one of the things, reasons why I started this podcast. If we, because growing up in Ghana, the companies I looked up to were uh, mostly foreign until I heard about some of the best companies or some of the incubator companies. Um, and then the inspiration began. I, get, I got inspired by these people. And I'm hoping that in our lifetime, or at least in our generation, we'll get to see more people doing really great stuff. And like you said, perhaps not necessarily the next unicorn, but doing really good, impactful business so that somebody could get up one day and say, oh, I can actually do this also in Ghana. Um, it's been really great having you. And thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot, Frank. Exciting speaking with you. Right. Bye. Bye.
Larry again. <laughs> you already know that. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you learned something new or you discovered something new. Or at least you were a bit entertained. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast and see you again soon. And if it's the end of the week, do enjoy your week. If it's the end of the day, do enjoy your day. Basically, do have the best of whatever is left of the week or the day. And see you soon. And one more thing. Don't forget to reach out to me via email, via Twitter, to be able to tell me how I can improve this podcast to make it better and much more entertaining for you. See you next time.